Well, good evening. Have you enjoyed uh, leadership and worship today by Jeff Epps? We appreciate him and his readiness and willingness to help us when um, we need to, and he steps in, and we're so grateful for that. And I'm also blessed tonight. Have you noticed our front row today, this evening? Isn't that cool? I think that's cool. Amen. And they're saying, what did we do? What did we do? So anyway, I can remember when I first came to know Christ as a 17-year-old, um, it was just normal. Most churches you went, if you were going to f- go find the students to sit with, they were all down front. That's not true in every church anymore. And uh, it's special to see you all sitting there and uh, so much a part of our life, of our church, and so engaged in worship. That's a blessing. Tonight, I want to encourage you to turn to God, John's Gospel, chapter 5. The Gospel of John, chapter 5. And if you did not receive a handout when you came in, it's because they were being run a little late because the pastor was a little late getting them out. Uh, if you did not get one and would like one, if you'd lift your hand, anybody, everybody got a worship handout that wants one? Fill in the blank handout. We're good? Boy, they must have done a good job then getting those out. Okay. Oh, there's one over here. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. You know, there's probably nothing more frustrating in ministry than to talk to someone and know in your heart that if, if they were willing, that God could help them and God could change their life and God could answer their cry and God would be the one who would be the difference that they're looking for in life. It's nothing more frustrating than to know that and to watch that person walk away. And you don't have any control over that. And we pray for them and we seek for God's engagement of that person and we can pray that God would hem them in to the truth and we should never stop. In our intercession, we should be very faithful to pray for those who are moving away from God. But there is a message in that even for the believer because some of us continue to walk and wrestle in our own strength with certain problems and certain issues that we have in our walk with God and and we are unwilling sometimes to allow God to come in and do his work and so the title this evening of this evening's message is willing to be healed and I want us to look for a few moments at This passage of Scripture, which is actually one that I preached here probably over a year ago, um, but I'm drawing on different insights and a different perspective this evening as we read this passage of Scripture. So I want to begin in verse 1, and then we'll look at these principles that are involved in our healing in our walk with God. We talked about our walk with God this morning, but we want to look at it in a different way tonight. Verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, which literally means house of mercy, and having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, 
And the word sick there, the, the Greek word that's used there, is one that means literally they have no strength. So any kind of illness, sickness, incapacity is described as having no strength. They were without power, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. Now I know part of that passage probably dropped out of some of your Bibles, dropped down to a footnote. If you want to know why they did that, come see me after church. And, uh, and I'll talk to you why they did that. I disagree with that personally. Um, now, a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been in that condition a long time. And he said to him, do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And by the way, if you drop out those verses, you don't know what that means. You know, earlier when the business about the angels stirring up the water, if you take that out, then what he says doesn't make as much sense. Just food for thought. I'm getting off track. Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. I mean, talk about an adventure and missing the point. He answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the man, the one who was healed, did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. And our question tonight is this, am I really willing for God to make a difference in my life? And so I have five questions that help us answer that question. Am I really willing? Here's the first question. Am I willing to admit the areas of paralysis in my walk with God? Now you say, that's kind of an odd way to put that, Don, but it captures what's on my mind and heart this evening as I think about this issue of people walking away from a certain healing and a certain help that God offers us. Am I willing to admit the areas of paralysis in my walk with God? In verse 6, it says, Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. And in this sense, this man represents you and me, trying to do life without Jesus, not willing to admit that we are spiritually paralyzed. There are places where we get stuck, things where we try to change, try to get better, try to be a different kind of person, and we're not able to. And why do we get in those whirlpools? Why do we get stuck in those places? Because we're not willing to back up take a hard look at ourselves and say, you know, at this point in my life, at this area of my life, I am paralyzed. I am without strength. I don't have the ability. I don't have the power to deal with this. We've got to be back up and be honest. Let me give you a scripture you can jot down in the margin, and it'll be on the screen. It's in Romans, Romans 5, 6. 
The Bible says this, for when we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. I can't think of a more precious verse tonight. When we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. That tells me several things. One thing it shows me as I, as I look at that is that God has a plan for us that we be godly. I really believe it means that. He died for us when we were ungodly. The implication is we shouldn't have been ungodly. And he has a plan for you and I to be godly. I think it also tells me that I don't have the strength to be godly. I don't have the capacity to have a relationship with God in my own strength. I don't have the capacity to live before a holy God the way I ought to live. And so I don't have the strength to do it. Something else it tells me is that Jesus died for me when I was absolutely paralyzed spiritually and I had no strength and no ability to be a godly person. He didn't die for me when I was good. He didn't die for me when I was cleaned up. He didn't die for me when I was attaining some measure of perfection. He died for me when I was an absolute and total failure. And you need to know that. Not about me, but about yourself. And you have friends that need to know that. Because they are working and trying and straining to be what they think God wants them to be. The truth is, you could never be what God wanted you to be. You don't have the strength. You don't have the power. And nothing has changed. Our life with God starts with our helplessness. That's where it begins. And you are still helpless. Jesus said, apart from me you can do nothing. And God is drawn, this is the good news, God is drawn to the helpless person. You start helpless, you're still helpless, and God is drawn. Of all the people sitting there, the guy who is the most helpless, who has the least power, who is least able to help themselves, Jesus goes to that guy. But you have to admit it. At some point along the way, you need to say, God, you're right. I'm without strength. I can't do it myself. I'm going to lay my pride in the dust. It, it's going to die here. I am paralyzed spiritually. I'm without strength. I'm going to admit my need to you. Boy, when you and I do that, things can begin to change. But that's where it begins. Second question we can ask ourselves. Am I willing to accept the changes that often accompany his work? Jesus comes to him and says, do you want to get well? Do you want to be made well? And I don't know what crossed his mind. But I know if I'd been sitting in a, in a certain place for 38 years, and I had a, a kind of a comfortable routine going on in my life, if someone came to me and said, I'm about to change your whole life, change your routine, yeah, you're feeling sorry for yourself, yes, you're stuck, yes, you're paralyzed, yes, you have no strength, and I'm ready, about ready to change all of that, it really does raise the question, is this something that you want to do? Are you ready to accept the changes? Now, notice Jesus asks the man this question. I mean, you've got to be a little surprised by that. He asks. Now, why would he say that to that man? Why would he say, do you want to get well? Do you want to be made well? Why does he do that? Because God will not coerce you to do anything against your will. God's not going to do that. He doesn't force you to do anything for him. He's not going to force you to walk with him. 
He won't coerce your will. He might enable your will when you give it to him, but he's not going to force your will to do his will. If God were to coerce your will, your relationship with God would no longer be like a human being in relationship with God. You would be a machine, simply doing what God is making you do. And God can have no fellowship with a machine. If you want to come to Christ for help, you can come. If you don't want to come to Christ for help, you don't have to come. The Bible says whosoever will may come. When I'm finished speaking tonight, I'm going to give a public invitation. And if you want to receive Christ, if you want to be made whole, if you want to receive him and what he offers you, you can come. But no one's going to make you do that. If you don't want to come, every angel in heaven is stronger than you, mightier than you, smarter than you, faster than you, but God won't let one of them drag you down the aisle if you don't want to come. If you want to come, there's no demon in hell or outside of hell that can stop you. God will make sure that you can come. Am I willing to accept the changes that come with his work? That's your call. That's your choice. Do I really want what he offers me? Third question. Am I willing to let go of my solution so he can solve my problem? Am I willing to let go of my solution so he can solve my problem? Notice how he answers Jesus. I've called the attention to this when I preached this last year. I want to do it again. Here's what he says. I have no one to help me into the pool. And the King James, New King James says, I have no man. No man. This, this, and he tries to explain it to Jesus. You see, here's how it is, Lord. Here's how it works. Here's the solution to my problem. I need to get in the water before anybody else. And I don't have anyone to help me. And all his focus, all his attention is on the resources that are available to him. He can't even see anything else because he can't let go of the only answer to his prayer that he can imagine. But you've got to let it go. In 1829, a man named George Wilson and another man killed a postal carrier. And it became a national issue when it became a capital offense. He was tried. His first, his companion in the crime was quickly went to the gallows. But he was repentant and he was sorry. And he had friends in Washington and they interceded for him with President Jackson, Andrew Jackson at the time. And Andrew Jackson issued a presidential pardon for George Wilson in 1831. He was pardoned. He was, his, his crime was removed. The penalty was removed. And when they carried that pardon to George Wilson, he refused to accept it. Now think about that. The President of the United States has issued a pardon. He refuses to accept it. Well, that had never happened before. The courts, the judicial system, the warden in the prison... Everybody was confused. What do we do? It went through the courts, and it went up through the ladder. It finally went to the U.S. Supreme Court at the time. And the U.S. Supreme Court decided at the end of the day that the pardon was a kind of property, and there was no legal way to force Wilson to accept that piece of property. And he was hanged. In fact, the chief justice at the time, Marshall, wrote this opinion of the court. He said, a pardon is an act of grace, 
proceeding from the power entrusted with the execution of the laws, which exempts the individual on whom it is bestowed from the punishment the law inflicts for a crime he has committed. And then he says, a pardon is a deed to the validity of which delivery is essential. And delivery is not complete without acceptance. It may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered, and if it be rejected, we have discovered no power in a court to force it on him. God has a way out for you. God has a solution for you. But he will not force it on you. You must come to him, let go of your solutions, and say, God, help me. I want to receive what you have for me. You must accept it. Question number four. Am I willing to do whatever he asks me to do? Am I willing to do whatever he asks me to do? Jesus says in verse 8, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Now, does that seem unreasonable to anybody else besides me? That's kind of an odd thing. If I was standing there, and you and I were standing there together, we might react the same way. Well, Lord, that seems, that seems kind of mean. You shouldn't taunt him that way. You shouldn't torment that, man, that way. You're asking a paralyzed man to, to get up. You think if he could have gotten up, he would have done it before now. That's impossible. And if it's impossible, it's also unreasonable. And if it's impossible and it's unreasonable, it's also unfair. And while you and I are telling that to Jesus, the man gets up and walks. Christianity is the impossible. It is the unreasonable. It is the unfair thing that God asks from us. And there's a word for this. It's called grace. It is impossible. It is unreasonable. It is unfair. But when Jesus comes to you and he gives you the direction through his word or through a counselor, a pastor, a godly friend, when he speaks to you, you can't argue with him. You can say, Lord, it's impossible. It's unreasonable. It's unfair. But whatever it is he's asking you to do, he is standing there ready to provide you the grace to do what he's asking you to do. Was the man healed because he walked, or did he walk because he was healed? He walked because he was healed. He was given the grace to do the very thing Jesus told him to do. Will you do whatever Jesus asks you to do? The fifth question, the final one is this. Am I willing to yield to his rule? Am I willing to yield to his rule? You know, the, the story goes on. The, the man is so excited, he starts walking around. He's, he's running around. He, he, um, he doesn't pay attention to who this guy was that just told him to get up. And the, uh, the religious monitors come up to him and say, hey, don't you know what day it is, sir? You can't carry that man around here. <laughs> it's just so stupid. Yeah. 
<laughs> but he says, you can't carry that man around here. Who told you you could get up and walk? And he says, I don't even know. And he goes and he encounters Jesus. And then Jesus says this to him. This is really interesting, verse 14. He says, see, you are well again. So it's 38 years, but he wasn't always in this condition. There was a point before those 38 years where he was well. And Jesus said, you are well again. And then he says this, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now, I don't know why he was in this physical shape for 38 years. But I really do believe the implication of the text is that the man had done something. Really had done something that had caused him physical harm to himself. When I was up in Michigan a couple weeks ago, we were going to have a break at 9 o'clock at night. They do snow activities in the dark up there. Sledding and all that. Uh, Michigan. And I love those guys if they see this. I love you guys. Anyway, they, um, the camp director said this to the guys. He said, you know, we got this hill over here. We want to encourage you to have fun. We want you to go out there and have a great time. He said, but don't do anything on that hill that starts out with, hey, watch this. <laughs> and some 38 years before this incident, I can just see this guy. He must have been some kind of... Jerusalem redneck, and he says, hey, watch this. And he pays a price for it for 38 years. And Jesus says, stop sinning or something worse is going to happen to you. You may go so far. You may listen to the Lord. You may go through these other four questions, and you may say, yes, God, I'm letting go of my solutions. Yes, I'm counting on your grace. Yes, I'm going to let you provide me what I need so that my life can change and I can get unstuck in my walk. And whatever it is that's not working in my life, I know that you can unstick it. You can remove the paralysis. You can give me grace, and I can go forward. And you can go so far like that, but at some point in your journey, even as a believer, as a child of God, you've got to come to a place where you recognize that the only way I can live, the only way I can keep going forward, the only way I can keep from having paralysis spiritually is if I yield my life to Jesus Christ. It's the only way. We want to come to him for a handout. We want to come to him for help with specific situations. And he's saying, give me your whole life. Give me your whole life. Or I'm, you may get out of this jam, but you're going to find yourself in another jam. And the only way to keep falling into these traps, keep falling into these places where you're hurting yourself or hurting others, is if you come to me and say, here I am, take me, all of me, I'm yours. Am I willing to yield to his rule? Otherwise, very soon, you're going to be back at the pool. And it's going to start all over again. Let me ask you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. We're going to have a time of response. This is part of our worship. You all know that. And it's an opportunity for you to respond to what God has said to you. We're going to stand and sing. If you're a brother or sister in Christ, there are pastors that will be standing at the end of each aisle. They'll be happy just to pray with you. 
You can tell them as little or as much as you like, but you can just come to them and take them by the hand and just say, you know, I need someone to pray for me. I really feel like the guy by the pool. In my walk with God, I'm experiencing a place or I'm at a spot where I'm stuck and I'm not experiencing victory. And I have no strength. And would you pray for me? And just, just tell them that. You may not want to talk to them. You may want to pray for yourself or someone that's on your heart that you know that's stuck, that's running from God. You can just come and kneel at the altar and just pray for them. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's an opportunity that I mentioned earlier in the message that I want to give you an opportunity to publicly choose Christ. Jesus said, if you will confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father. And so he really does call you to make a public demonstration of your faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation is not something we do for ourselves. Salvation is what God does for us when we come to him. We confess our sin. We put our trust in Jesus Christ and his death for our sins on the cross. And then he gives us a new life. And he begins to change us and grow us. If you want to trust Christ tonight and receive him, then would you, when we stand and sing, just slip out of the pew. Come take one of these pastors by the hand. Just say, I want to be saved. They'll answer your questions. They'll take time with you. Believe me. They'll, they'll share scriptures with you that you can read for yourself. But you can receive Christ tonight and your life can change.